0: Hello, this is Haley Nauman, and you're listening to the Maybe Baby Podcast. Being my 15th newsletter. It's called An Announcement About Maybe Baby, but um, I'm just going to kind of talk through the announcement rather than read, and then I'm going to move on to the written portion, which is actually not about the announcement at all. So this week I launched a paid model for my newsletter, I've been really, really nervous about doing this because I know that most people are not used to paying for writing or really internet content in general. Even I'm not. Even though I've made a move to try to pay creators who are doing works that I really believe in, there's still a lot of content I um, consume for free. And I totally understand that that's how most people operate. So I was really nervous about asking for money, but I also knew that I from an ethical and moral perspective, did not want to fund Baby Baby with sponsors or ads, which is how the rest of media is typically funded. I've talked about this before, so I don't want to beat a dead horse, but I feel like it can be really compromising when you're answering to brands rather than the actual consumers of a product. I feel like you end up being really focused on clicks and things become really cheapened because um, you're trying to drive traffic instead of just relying on a customer base that is really invested in the work that you're producing. Um, So I kind of assumed that I wouldn't be able to charge people because of consumer behavior, but I also didn't want to take on ads. And so I kind of just assumed that Maybe Baby would have to stay pretty small and that ultimately I wouldn't be able to treat it like more than just a little side project because I really need to be doing paid work. Um, you know, have bills, rent, etc. And I just, it took me a while to think that maybe this project could be, um, a portion of my income and could, you know, be worth a lot of time investment and energy investment. And, I was encouraged by the team at Substack and by friends and other writers that I convene with on this kind of thing, that um, that consumers are becoming a lot more into the idea of paying directly for the work that they want. So I decided to launch a paid component of Maybe Baby. This has been a couple months in the making. I hesitated about what I wanted to make paid and what I wanted to keep free because I really do want maybe to be accessible to people especially during a time when there's mass economic turmoil so many people unemployed um it's just it's not a joke to pay five dollars a month and I totally understand that not everybody can do that so I was kind of grappling with what to keep free and what to make paid and ultimately settled on keeping three out of my four weekly newsletters in the month free with the last one being behind a paywall since it is dear baby which is sort of a little bit more of an intimate interaction between me and the readers i'll be answering questions whether it's advice or kind of more personal questions or really a question about anything so maybe baby will be now split between those two tiers um Paid subscribers will also get access to this podcast, so you're listening to it now, but this is going to be the last free one, and in the future, if you would like to access this podcast, you'll have to become a paying member. So, there are a couple things you get by being a paying member, but I think more than that, um, I'm hoping that people who want to support this work and are able to feel um, comfortable paying for it, since I, I don't think an ad model is serving any of us, so... Um, if you're able to do that, I would be so, so grateful for the support. It will allow me to keep up the amount of time I'm putting into this project, which is quite a lot. And it's definitely a labor of love and I want to keep going. And I feel really lucky to have something like that to work on right now. And I guess I just want to keep going. I hope that it's, it means as much to at least some people out there as it does to me. And if you could help me, um, keep this thing going without compromising it with ads, I would be, I'm trying to think of a word other than grateful, but that's just ultimately what it is. Fulfilled, satisfied, gratified, humbled. Um, I don't know. I kind of hate the use of humble in that context because is that really humbling? Anyway, um, so that's my hope is that I can fund this thing with reader support. So if that's you, if you think that this is worth an overpriced cup of coffee I would be so grateful if you became a paying member. and if you can't, I totally understand for every hundred paid signups, I I am going to be comping ten signups for people who can't afford it. So if you are interested in being comped, um, let me know and I can put you on the waiting list. And as soon as I get more paid subscribers, I will be able to extend those to you. So, if you can't afford it, know that you are helping pay for someone who can't, and you're also helping just keep a creative project alive. And um, you know, if it's not mine that you fund, then I hope you go out and find others if you're in the place too, because I think it's a really wonderful new way to keep um, creators and consumers on more intimate and direct terms. So, if you want to sign up, you'll just have to go to my Substack, and you can just add backslash subscribe to the end of my URL. Or you can just go to my latest newsletter and click subscribe and you'll see all the options there. The last thing I'll say is I am donating a portion of my revenue to a different organization every month. So starting in August, check out the bottom of the newsletter. You'll find a new organization each time at the footer. And if you'd ever like to recommend a organization, you can shoot me a message. Oh, one, one more thing. I'm also launching a new franchise called Small Good Thing. And I'm going to be using it to highlight one thing that's underrated and undervalued every week in my recommendations. If you'd like to recommend something for Small Good Thing, just shoot an email to smallgoodthingrec at gmail.com. You can also just get to me some other way, whatever's easiest, but that's probably the most streamlined and I'll be collecting recs there and i um, really excited to kind of use this lens to find things um, with a little bit more intention. So, Uh, Thank you so, so, so much for reading, for listening, for even engaging with this basically sales pitch. It's not my favorite part of this uh, project, but I'm going to try to get more comfortable with it as time goes on. Okay, that's it for now. Moving on to the actual newsletter. Infinity and beyond, but about email. The other day I received an email from Google that I've used 96% of my 15 gig storage limit on my Gmail account. And did I want to purchase extra cloud space for as little as one ninety nine a month? I was surprised. I'd never thought of my email as a finite resource, and yet when I heard that it was, I thought, "I don't need more than fifteen gigs of email." And then my next and more unhinged thought was, "I'll do anything to save every single email I've ever sent or received or will for the rest of my life." This is a hoarder's mentality, I realize, because I rarely dig anything up in my inbox. And when I do, I often get lost in a maze of old G-chats that are so unfunny I end up questioning my entire personality. But still, it feels important to know that it's all there and safe in perpetuity, this incriminating yet invaluable time capsule. I did not respond to Google's email, which took up some of my precious remaining real estate. The next day, like some kind of kismet, I was listening to Leslie Jameson's interview on Longform, and in it she mentioned how often she searches through her old emails when she's writing a personal piece about her past. Sometimes just wandering through a particular digital era will unearth something she'd forgotten. Like, say, the time she signed up for a CSA box to try to convince her boyfriend to love her. She recalled that the relationship was going off the rails. She just didn't remember her delusion in believing she could save it by becoming the type of person who cooks with farm-fresh produce. Sometimes little details like that can tell us a lot more about who we are, or maybe the human condition, than the sweeping narrative we've reconstructed over the years. This is why we need email. Gigs and gigs of email. Upon hearing Jameson's anecdote, I felt an immediate need to comb my inbox from 2011, the year most venerated in my memory, excepting 2016 when I moved to New York. The first thing I found in my excavation was a text file recovered from an old service I used to use called O Life. O Life was a robot that sent me an email every day from 2010 to 2014 with just one question: "How did your day go?" My reply, sometimes as short as "Zach is a very good kisser," other times a novella would then be stored on some faraway, almost certainly insecure server. And when it shut down in 2014, I was sent a 61,000-word document filled with every last one. For reference, that's nearly the average length of a YA novel, which I guess this kind of is, only much worse. In fact, after spending 30 minutes skimming it, I can't stress how much worse. There are certain things I've told myself about these years, which span my senior year of college to three years post-grad. Like that in 2010, at age 21, I finally learned how to flirt. Or that I questioned getting into a relationship with someone three months before graduation. I would stay with him for six years. Or that in 2012, my life in San Francisco would become haunted by the life I wasn't living in New York. What I found was so much richer. A record of my profound ignorance and unrelenting self-deception. Of every lie I told myself with humiliating zeal. To read these entries was more than just remembering. It was about facing who I once was and might still be, if just another version. The narrative arc of the entries is as follows. Girl wants something. Girl tells herself she's not grateful enough. So girl gives thanks and feels better. Then girl wants something again. I guess that's more of a loop than an arc. The obsession with gratitude didn't exactly surprise me. In 2017, I wrote an essay where I ultimately suspected gratitude a bludgeon against emotions. As in, I feel bad, but I should just be grateful. But it did feel eerie. Since arriving at my parents' place in San Diego two weeks ago, I've been cataloging my mom's design aesthetic, which I've dubbed Gratitude Core. The affirmations are everywhere. Live, laugh, love, advises a fake stone in her garden. Breathe, demands a wood sign in the foyer. Live simply, expect little, give much, requests a key tray in the guest bed. Live well, laugh often, love much, implores a plaque in the office, described by Avi as the live, laugh, love director's cut. After enough exposure, it all starts to feel like a decorative taunt. You can't help but wonder if you're a monster for simply existing and being grouchy sometimes because someone threw out your leftovers. This happened earlier this week. I started to consider if this particular aesthetic, beloved mostly by American mothers born between 1946 and 1964, wasn't pushed upon a generation of women to placate them into asking for nothing more than what they were given. Every time I see another one, I imagine my 29-year-old mom at home alone with three young kids in 1989, exhausted and unsure about her choice to forego more personal ambitions mumbling live laugh love over and over into her unwashed hair this is clearly a projection as it's the same story i saw in my journal entries with almost all of the details swapped out but the general sentiment loud and clear be fucking grateful you little ingrate when i asked my mom if my vision of her was accurate she laughed and said she didn't see it that way at all she believes her commitment to gratitude had and still has more to do with her witnessing the rise of mass consumerism. Also, in the way of defense, she says most of her gratitude core were gifts. Quote, do other women my age have that kind of stuff? she asked, her sparkling eyes unmaimed by years of reading shit posts on Twitter. My mom isn't ignorant, to be fair. She's been engaged in activist work since I was young, which I admit puts a bit of a damper on my theory that gratitude can placate. She's just grateful. "'But you wouldn't tell people protesting in the streets to be grateful, would you?' I asked. "'I don't think rage and gratitude necessarily oppose each other,' she said, schooled. "'I reminded her of the way I used gratitude as a tool to avoid living more authentically in my twenties, by insisting that my discomfort was simply selfishness rather than an emotion worth exploring. And she said she thinks part of me getting past that phase was waking up to all the possibilities available to me, in itself a form of gratitude.' On that one, she had me stumped. I'd been gratitude duped. She could see my point though. She said she'd leaned a lot on gratitude in her thirties when she watched friends pursue careers while she stayed home with us. Quote, why hadn't I cared more about school, about becoming something? I was so angry at myself, but spending your life in regret is a waste of time. Maybe gratitude is the antidote to regret. She was working things out in real time. She mentioned how her friend who'd emigrated from Mexico and worked two full-time jobs was the most grateful person she knew, and how she found that inspiring, and used it as a driving force to give more of herself to others. As she spoke, I felt my idea of her life breaking into pieces and rearranging into something else. But in the end of our conversation, she was intent on clarifying that her decor choices weren't so serious. They bring me peace, she said. It's good vibes. And when she said that, I imagined an urban outfitter store decorated with a neon of that exact expression and realized she was right. Gratitude core is just good vibes for boomers. Nothing more, nothing less. Sometimes the narrative is much simpler than you imagine, even if it takes you a while to get there. And maybe that's as good an argument as any to hoard emails until you do. Before I move on to recommendations, I want to do a quick pause for comment. Um, This is something I plan to do in future podcasts, to respond to comments that I find really thought-provoking or maybe there's a controversial one that I think would be interesting to kind of dig into. Um, Sometimes a comment makes me really want to clarify something or um, answer a question more publicly that I think I've gotten from a lot of different people. Uh, So that sort of thing. I think because of the turnover rate of the newsletter and the fact that I'm sort of writing them alone um, and fast makes me want to sometimes have the place to do a little retrospective based on the response that it gets so I'm going to be doing that in the podcast and um this week I'm going to talk about a comment from someone named Chen. Chen brought up the idea of toxic positivity and um felt that the piece fell short because I didn't address it more directly um and like the social political implications of toxic positivity. If you're not familiar toxic positivity is the idea that um if you overemphasize happiness and looking on the bright side and smiling and cheering up, um, you might be sort of blunting just as worthy emotions like sadness or melancholy or rage or, um, you know, anything on the emotional spectrum that can be fertile to explore. Um, And I definitely think I could have directly addressed this in the piece and made it super big. I think if I did it again, I probably would get into it a little bit. So I appreciated the chance to even think about this. Um, But I do think that toxic positivity was sort of the founding um, idea in, in writing about this in general. I felt that my mom was sort of blunting herself and her experience by insisting on you know, gratitude before everything. I even assumed that she had been using it as maybe a reason to not pursue more for herself or maybe like an excuse. And I think that that was, um, I realized that it was unfair once I started talking to her and that actually I needed to reconcile that assumption with reality, which is that my mom's actually been very engaged, um, with the world and isn't really a Pollyanna and has been doing, you know, volunteer work since I was a kid and is very politically active. So, um, I had to sort of reconcile these two ideas that I had in my head. And I liked, um, hearing that for my mom, gratitude wasn't a blunt instrument and that instead it felt more like a throughway way to other really mobilizing emotions like anger and compassion and like a desire to give of herself to others. And it was just, you know, it's always a nice reminder to um, consider that that we're all really different and process the world really differently. And um, I especially appreciated the reminder that I might have like over-intellectualized my mom's decor choices. (laughs) Like, you know, in the end, I felt that she um, wanted to clarify that her decor choices weren't necessarily reflective of her worldview, or they were more divorced than I was making them. And instead, they were just kind of good vibes. And um, it reminded me obviously of like the good vibes aesthetic movement for younger generations and, um, the way that those two are actually pretty divorced from like the most insidious manifestations of toxic positivity, which are, you know, more like institutional. It's like a boss who's telling you to just say thank you or smile when you're complaining about something serious or like a life coach that asks for thousands just to tell you to like cheer up. (laughs) So, um, I think that there's just so many layers to these things, and there's obviously um, differences between individuals, and um, it's always nice to have a, a conversation with someone you disagree with and, and, f- and come away feeling like you have a um, more complex and nuanced understanding of something that you felt pretty singular about going into it. So it was a little bit about toxic positivity. It was also a little bit about questioning your own beliefs, and it was definitely about Grat core. So thank you to Chen for the comments and the opportunity to just think it out loud a little bit on the pod. Well, first time saying the pod. And now we're going to move right the fuck along to recommendations. 15 things I consumed this week. First up is this week's small good thing. It is Crystal Anderson's Instagram live show. It's called Inside Edition, and it's on every Friday night at seven PM EST. Crystal's a good friend of mine, and she's just so exuberant and hilarious, and has such a strong and distinct personality and sense of herself in the world. and she's just one of those people that you meet and you like think that she should be famous and I'm so glad that she's like continuing to get more and more love and attention because she absolutely deserves it. Um, I've been thinking a lot about her actually as I've been recording these podcasts because I've become like acutely aware of the fact that I'm just not super comfortable in front of a microphone. Um, Like I talk so much more freely in my normal life than when I'm like Hunched over my phone in my dad's closet, which, you know, maybe the circumstances aren't ideal, but I I've experienced this like in front of a camera too. I'm just like, I'm nervous, I'm stiff, and that's just not Crystal. And you can absolutely tell that on her show. She's just like, she's a beam of light. So, check it out. She also is launching some merch that is just so incredibly Crystal. It's not like any merch I've ever seen. And um, I if you want to see what I'm talking about, you should check out my newsletter because I linked the shirt. Number two is one of my favorite essays I've read in a long time. It's called "I Didn't Mean to Adopt a Dozen Pet Snails." It's by Rebecca Giggs. It was published in the New York Times Magazine, and it was recommended to me by my friend and old editor, Verena von Fetten. Um I was immediately intrigued by the title because I really trust her tastes, and um, didn't have any idea what this was going to be about. And I ended up loving it. It's it's like a really it's a really funny and poignant and Frankly, beautiful essay about snails. Can't recommend it enough. I immediately texted my friend Bobby, who also has a ton of pet snails, and is actually a photographer, often for the New York Times. And I couldn't believe that he didn't shoot this story. It felt like the perfect opportunity. And I was like, "You got robbed!" And he was like, "Oh my god, I know." (laughs) And it was just kind of a funny little moment because um, I didn't even really realize people had snails as pets, and now I feel like a whole world is opening up to me. So. I think i 'm kind of into it, and uh, can 't recommend this one enough. Number three exactly one episode of the new Netflix show, Unsolved Mysteries, after which I permanently quit because I was angry the mystery wasn 't solved. <laughs> I could not handle this show I like don 't understand how anybody could get into this dramatic retelling of a horrible crime only to find out that the murder or whatever is still out there I, f- I found it such an unsatisfying experience. I know that Unsolved Mysteries is an old show. I feel like I actually watched it as a kid, but I could not get behind it as an adult. I feel like maybe I've been like overtrained by like true crime docs and stuff, but, or you know, maybe I'm just, you know, another sucker for instant gratification, but could not handle this. And I was deeply satisfied when, um, Afi sent me a tweet a few days later that was showing, um, other people getting mad about Unsolved Mysteries not being solved because I felt absolutely seen. Number four is several time-lapse videos of someone named Tammy Clark doing her makeup. Tammy has like 300,000 followers. Her account's called Makeup by Tammy. Um, She absolutely deserves her following. She's so good at makeup. I don't even wear makeup, but I was absolutely hypnotized. I watched like 20 of these videos at like 6 a.m. through one eye, like before I'd even looked at the time. It was just like, you know, an inexplicable choice I think she was in my explore tab. I don't even know who she is to this day, but um, she's very talented. And I don't know, something about that time lapse, it just, it hits. So if you like watching makeup um, in, you know, fast motion, highly recommend Tammy. Number five is my sick pleasure at the failure of Quibi, the streaming service that had billions of VC dollars behind it. It was meant to be like the next Netflix, but for like 10-minute shows. I feel like they put a lot of money into marketing, so you've probably heard of it. It also became kind of a laughingstock of the internet. And, um... You know, a lot of people have been writing about the schadenfreude of Quibi's fail and, like, how it's felt weirdly good to watch. And I think it has to do with the fact that Quibi felt like such a cynical and soulless venture capital project. It was just two rich people sort of, like, trying to use the system that they think they know in and out to just make themselves even richer and more powerful. And something about watching that formula fail was or it's satisfying. It, like, it gives me some sense of peace and hope for the future. Um, kind of dark, but honestly, Quibi just seems like such a nightmare. And I am sorry for an, any creators who were hopeful about this format, but I don't think that anyone was actually that excited about the format. I feel like it was truly just to take advantage of people's time in a, <clears throat> in a new way. So anyway, that's all I got to say about Quibi. Number six is another Michaela Cole-related wreck because I'm quickly becoming very obsessed with her. Not in a weird parasocial way. I just feel like she's such a thoughtful and fresh and genuinely talented new person in the media world. Um, she's obviously been doing creative work for you know the last 10 years, but she's pretty young and she's just sort of getting her footing in mainstream culture. And I'm really excited to see someone like her getting cover stories everywhere because she's uniquely um, good at storytelling, like in a way that's you can tell it's very inherent to who she is, and I realized that when I watched this speech, which is actually what number six is about, um, that she gave. It's called the—what um, is it called, actually? Oh, the James McTaggart Lecture. Um, she did it at the Edinburgh Festival in 2018, and it's 50 minutes, but it's really— Inspiring to watch, and not just because of the content, which of course is inspiring, but even just the way she tells stories and how clearly she speaks and how comfortable she is. As someone who's been like struggling to even record this podcast and realizing like how often I have to keep re recording like a simple sentence over and over, I've been, I've become, I'm becoming, there I go, I'm becoming increasingly impressed by people who just seem absolutely at home in front of a microphone and with like eyes on them. So, Love Michaela Cole. Uh, her profile with E. Alex Jung was also really amazing. So, if you have time to give that a read too, it's pretty long as well, but um, worth your time if you're kind of becoming a Michaela Cole stan like me. Number seven is the survivalist reality TV show Alone. It's on the History Channel. It's kind of similar to Naked and Afraid, which is not something I've ever seen, but my dad has and told me that they're kind of similar. But Alone is basically about ten survivalists putting their skills to the test. They're all dropped um, in kind of remote locations, and whoever can survive the longest in the basically the woods um, wins half a million dollars. It's kind the, the financial element is kind of dark. Like, I, I almost wish there was a way to exhibit these people's skills without it being a competition for basically, like, economic stability, because it starts to feel really sad. Like, uh, it feels dark. Um, I mean, the modern world is dark in general, and so is reality TV, but sometimes it feels especially exploitive, but in its best moments, it feels like a real celebration of people who have learned incredible skills and how to, like, live off the land and alone and... It's a test of human strength and resilience and not to, like, oversell a stupid reality TV show, but it's really genuinely an insane show to watch. It does make you sort of realize how you have literally no skills and could only survive for, like, half a day out there. Or maybe that's just me. But anyway, worth a watch if you're into that kind of thing. If you can look past the sort of dystopian... Competitive element. It's definitely fascinating. Number eight is a helpful Instagram guide by an account called Critical Resistance. It shows the, um, it kind of compares traditional police reform with abolitionist reform. It's really nice to see these things side by side since so many people are arguing about them right now. Um, I think some people assume that abolitionists just want to like completely take everything away right away. Um, And that's not exactly true. So I think it's nice to see someone explain what abolitionist reform actually looks like and how it's, um, you know, more thoughtful and um, comprehensive than it might sound when you first hear like abolish the police. So check it out if you're interested. Number nine is a meme about how whenever you're back home with your parents and someone asks you to help come get the groceries out from the car, you just slip on whatever shoes are closest to the door. And I'm sorry to commit the crime of explaining a meme, but it shows like a man's legs in white athletic socks slipping into like tiny little leather slides that clearly belong to someone much smaller than him and probably older. And it just, it hit so hard. And I was like, I I think in that moment, obviously just beyond thinking it was really funny and accurate, is realizing that memes are actually kind of a powerful storytelling tool. Like, <laughs> not to, you know, give too much credit, but I would have never thought of that as a shared experience, or I probably would have never thought to explain it to anybody or connect with someone on that particular point. And um, I just appreciate memes for highlighting the the absolute beauty in our shared mundanities number 10 is the made for hulu movie palm springs it apparently broke records and i can't remember exactly what motivated um, me my brother and boyfriend to watch this but we've been watching more movies than usual lately and i feel like this was just recommended via the home screen so really digging deep on this one but i actually found it pretty charming it does not say anything remotely new so don't expect too much from it but I found it to be really entertaining and genuinely funny in parts, and it is definitely just Groundhog Day for hot young people. Number 11 is the super controversial essay that Lori Moore recently wrote about normal people. I actually didn't grow up knowing who Lori Moore was or even know who she was through my 20s. I learned about her probably a few years ago only, which I realize is kind of humiliating, but... um, I didn't study English and I worked in HR for five years after college. So sometimes I have certain names I've just like strangely missed through my kind of like English and literature, literary education. And Lori Moore was one of them. I've since, um, engaged with her work and like read it over the last few years. And I totally see why she's beloved and kind of a name in the kind of J school community, if such a thing exists, um, I was really curious when I saw this piece that she wrote about normal people, the TV show, um, based on the book, of course, uh, because everybody was talking about it on Twitter and saying that it was just the most insane thing that I'd ever read, and I couldn't parse what people thought because half of people were like saying that she was declaring war upon millennials and the other half were like laughing and then some people were offended but but also loved it. Others were like this is horrible and yet I keep wanting to read it and I was just like what is this piece and as soon as I read it I completely understood every single tweet I'd read. It is full of really bad takes and such great one-liners and it's really fun to discuss because it's Not only does she shoehorn in like a whole rant about millennials that just feels like completely out of touch with and out of step with common thinking, but um, it's still so well done. Like, I also didn't agree with so much of what she said, but then also really agreed with like 10% of it. Anyway, a wild reading experience. I kind of appreciated it for its complexity. Um, Sometimes I think things are almost like too sanitized at this point and everyone's sort of falling in line and it's always fun when someone mixes things up like that. So give it a read if you're curious. If you were a fan of normal people or weren't, I think you'll find something to agree with in this piece. Number 12 is a hideous $100 massage cushion that's affixed to a chair in my parents' house. When I first saw it, I thought it was like a glorified lumbar pillow, and I thought it was absolutely atrocious, and I didn't understand why like what back problem could be serious enough to require it? And then I realized that it was an electronic portable massage chair and that when you sat on it and pressed the button, it gave you a full back massage. Like it, it actually felt like I was getting a massage and I could not believe it. And I immediately Googled it and it's $100, which is so much cheaper than a massage chair or even a massage. And even though it's a truly hideous piece of technology, I am working on Avi to convince him that we need one for our apartment. So I'll report back on that. Number 13 is a Google Chrome hack I learned from my brother. He was trying to open a new Google Doc on my computer, and he just typed docs.new into the browser, and it immediately opened a new document, and my mind was blown. And then he told me you could type sheets.new to get a new Google Sheet. So there's probably other versions of this hack, um, but If you've never heard of it, give it a shot because it's actually saved me so much time and I'm now obsessed with it. Number 14 is a light blue pair of Patagonia baggies. I found these because my brother commanded me to search for a new purple pair of Patagonia baggies for him. And instead, I found one for me that I liked better and just ordered those. And he's been resenting me ever since. But I have now worn these things for like five days straight. I don't know what took me so long baggies are really popular at least in New York and I have to say I feel like it's kind of deserved they're really good athletic shorts they're also kind of like swimming shorts and they're also like lounging shorts I don't know I'm very into them so if you need a new pair give them a shot I kind of like that you can wear them high waist or lower too so if you care about that kind of thing you're covered number 15 is the overwhelming desire to squeeze an animal. I miss my cat bug so much. My friend, Emily, is cat-sitting him right now, and she keeps sending me such cute pictures of him, and I just miss having a little furry companion. I've been joking that I'm going to just adopt a dog for my parents to discover when they come home one day, and um, just dumping that on them permanently, but I just feel like everyone needs a pet, and it's really sad to be in a house without a pet, so... Anyway, I miss Bug, and I await our romantic return when we run towards each other across the bedsty expanse. And last thing before we go, if you have a question for Dear Baby, feel free to drop it in the comments or reply to this email. Um, like I said, on the last Sunday of every month, I'm going to be choosing five. I have a growing document of all the questions I've been asked for Dear Baby, and I plan to answer a mix of advice and just personal questions for me and um i kind of want to make sure that every month i am addressing something kind of juicy or something you definitely haven't heard before so feel free to make me uncomfortable um i'm ready for whatever you have and i'm kind of curious too like what do you not know what have you always wondered about so don't be shy and um if you're not joining as a paid subscriber then i will talk to you in a couple of weeks when um I write the first newsletter for August and thank you either way for reading. I am so grateful to have you here and I'll see you next week. Bye. Don't you let me, don't you let me down I'm not a player, I don't mess around You're nice, my side, kind of like you smile